If you get to know me very much, you will discover that I'm an idea man. I love an idea. I don't like to follow through with my ideas, but I love, I love an idea. And my personality is such is that when I get an idea, it's all I think about. I forget that I have a family. I YouTube it to death. I learn everything there is to know about it. I almost certainly buy something to help with the idea. Anybody married to an idea man or an idea woman? Morgan's married to an idea man. And it can be a frustrating experience, I'm sure, because in my house, the amount of halfway started ideas are numerous and they're in the basement, and they're, you know, still on the credit card or whatever, but, you know, because I have the idea, and then I get bored, and then I move on to my next idea. I've got one right now that I'm working on. very excited about it. Check in with me next week, though, because I might be forgetting that I even thought about it at all. Some of you have had this experience where you had an idea, and you rushed into something, and you got so excited about something, and if you're a person of faith, you might have even, as you got started, you might have even said something along the lines of, God, help me with this. I'm on my way to something. Help it be successful. The tension that sometimes we face, though, is that we get going along the way. I started the business, or I did the thing, or whatever it looks like for you. We move into something, and then it doesn't feel like God is helping me with it, and we get so frustrated. And we say, God, I asked, and I asked you to help me with this thing, and I had this plan, and I had this idea, and it doesn't seem that you're helping me with it. And we can spiritualize it and say, God, I really, man, I, I really felt like I stepped out in faith, and I did something. It doesn't seem like you're with me. But here's what we're going to discover today from Nehemiah, is that faith is not starting an idea and asking God to bless it. Say, God, here's where I'm going. Would you bless where I'm going? Instead, faith is saying, God, where, where are you going? What are you doing? Where are you working? And how can I play my part in what you're already doing? I don't want to be the originator of something and ask you to get involved later. I want to get involved with what you're already doing. And that's kind of countercultural to our society today because our society says this, just follow your heart. Anybody ever hear this? Maybe you have a mug that says, just follow your heart. This looks great on a bumper sticker, it's a terrible way to live your life. This is not a way to live a successful life because here's what you know is true, that your heart will lie to you. How many of you have had a relationship that your heart was so invested in in the moment and then a few months later removed, you're thinking, what in the world was I thinking? I mean, how would I have been so stupid to get involved with that person or get involved in that relationship, well, your heart was there. And so you followed your heart. How many of you are still paying off some credit card debt because your heart said, man, I've just got to do this thing. My heart was there. And well, later on, my heart kind of changes. And it's just, we get tossed and turned and some of you grew up in a broken home because man a dad or a mom decided well my heart's not with her my heart is with her over here and follow your heart well following your heart a lot of times ends up with heartbreak jeremiah the prophet he was he was exactly right that says the heart is deceitful above all things and it's beyond cure i mean who can understand it 
And we've lived long enough to know that that's true. The easiest person for me to deceive is me. The easiest person for me to fool is me. I can convince myself of just about anything because my emotions get attached to it, my heart gets attached to it, and I just feel so passionate about it in the moment. And I can convince myself to do just about anything. And if I live my life following my heart, sometimes it'll end up okay, but a lot of times it'll end up with some brokenness and some messed up things. And so what Christians are invited to do is not follow your heart, but instead ask, what is on God's heart and how can I play a part? Not, not where is my heart leading me, because that's going to change day in and day out, but what's on God's heart? And how can I use my skills and my talents and my abilities and play a part with what is already God is wanting to do? Last week, we just looked at the story of Nehemiah chapter 1, where Nehemiah was... Uh, a captive in Babylon, and he gets this report that the walls of Jerusalem had been broken down. It's 140 some odd years that they had been broken down, and it, and it broke his heart. And we ended it last week by Nehemiah saying, he's gonna go talk to the king, and he's gonna say, give your servant success today by granting me favor in the presence of this man. And the entire hinge point of the story of Nehemiah, and you should read it for yourself. Nehemiah is a really easy book of the Bible to read. It's about 13 chapters, not about, it's exactly 13 chapters. It's a really fabulous, wonderful story. If you're new to Bible study, the book of Nehemiah is just a great story for you to read. But as I was studying this week, there is one little line that pops out, and I've read this story over and over again. But there's this one line that I just saw for the very first time this week, and it's the hinge point of the whole story of Nehemiah. It's like this throwaway line. But without this line, the rest of the story of Nehemiah doesn't work. And this is where I want to try to get us to as well. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 12. What God had put in my heart to do. Nehemiah wasn't following his heart. Nehemiah was, God, this is an idea that you originated. This is something that you want. It wasn't Nehemiah's idea. He, I mean, Nehemiah was living a great life. Nehemiah, and some of you would apply for this job. Think about what Nehemiah's job was. Nehemiah's job was to live in a palace and drink wine. How many of you could see yourself in a position where you live in a palace and drink wine? That would be an acceptable job for some of us. That was Nehemiah's life. His, his job was to taste the wine before the king tasted the wine in case somebody poisoned the wine, and that's where he lived. Man, if Nehemiah followed his heart, he probably would have just stayed in comfort. Instead, he goes about a 1,000 miles away to a place he's never been to lead a construction project with people he's never met. Now, on its face, those two things, I mean, it seems like an easy decision. But if Nehemiah would have followed just his heart, I just want to be comfortable. I just want to live my life. I just, I'm drinking the wine. I've got, I'm friends with the king. I live in, I never have to worry about food. It's just, man, I've got this great life. You would never know, and I would never know, that Nehemiah ever existed. Do you know who the cupbearer was to the king before Nehemiah? Anybody know? Me either. And no one does. Because he just lived a life. He just woke up, here's some wine, went to bed. Nehemiah would have been the same way. 
if he would have just followed his heart. But instead, God deposited something in him, that God was up to something, and Nehemiah was available. And together, they accomplished something really marvelous and really miraculous. And Nehemiah wasn't special. Nehemiah was just a guy. He was just, he was just willing. And in my life and in your life, amongst all of the great ideas that you have and the New Year's resolutions that you want to make, and I want to make the, I want to get skinnier, I want to save more money, I want to get out of that, those are wonderful and good, and I am cheering you on. I want that for you. But if you could go beyond that just a step, because what most New Year's resolutions, not all, but painting with a broad brush, most New Year's resolutions are about me improving me. How can I get better at me? But what Christians are invited to do is to take a step a little bit further and say, God, where is your leading? What are you doing? And how can my life and my skills and what you've put in my hands play a part in what you want to do? And if you're willing, you don't have to, but if you would be willing, God will give you a burden so that you can be a blessing. That God will put something in your heart that's more than just about you. That God, if you're willing, would say, here's what I'm doing and here's how you can be a part. You can be a blessing to a neighborhood. You can be a blessing to a community. You can be a blessing to a family. You can be a blessing to your church. But it requires that you go like what Nehemiah did. I'm not just about my life. It's not just about getting the scale to give me a smaller number. It's not just about getting my bank account to give me a higher number. How can I use my life? Where is God leading? God, give me a bird and put something in my heart so that I can be a blessing. As I was studying this week, I came across this quote by a woman named Kathy, who I forget her, I forget her last name, but she, Kathy Keller was her name, and she said this, I love this quote. Often, often, God calls you to a ministry by making you the one who sees the need that others don't. Do you want to know how you can be used by God? Just take a look at what you notice that other people don't notice. Well, here's another way to tell. What do you complain about? What just drives you crazy that doesn't drive other people crazy? That could be your ministry, is that you realize that perhaps you're seeing a need because God is calling you to be the one that doesn't complain about the need, but actually meets the need, the one who starts something. Carrie Mason isn't here this morning, but... A year ago, she came to me and said, Kyle, I want to start a food ministry. Now, I'd been here at that time 10 years. Do you know what had never occurred to me? Starting a food ministry. Not one time. I didn't see a need. And so Carrie had this thing in her heart, and she had three options. She had three options. Here's what she could have done. She could have said, that church doesn't have a food ministry. I can't believe it. I'm going to go find a different church that has the food ministry because that's what I'm passionate about. She could have done that. She could have said, Kyle, we need a food ministry, and I need you to run the food ministry, and I need you to go get some food cooked, and I'm going to be beneficiary of the food ministry. She could have done that. But here's what she did instead. She said, Kyle, I see a gap. I see a need that you've never seen before. I want to start something, and do you know what role I've played in it? I gave her a credit card so that she could go buy groceries for the food ministry. What a gift. 
She saw a need. I would have never, 20, 30 years down the road, I would have never seen a need for a food ministry. The same is true for you. There's some needs that you see that I don't see and the other people around you don't see. And that is God's calling card in your life. Here's where I want you to work. Here's how I want you to be a part of what I'm doing in the world. And if you would be willing, God will again, he'll put in you, I'm just gonna call it today a burden. Something in your heart that says, this is how I want you to live. This is where I want you to go. I don't want you to be led by your heart. I want you to be led by my heart and I want you to play a part. But it comes with five things. Nehemiah chapter two shows us that if you would be willing to say, God, what is your burden for my life? God, where do you want my life to be led? There's five things that Nehemiah had happened to him that here's what you can expect. We're gonna rush through them really, really fast. But Nehemiah chapter two is where we're at today. And it shows us, man, if you pray the prayer, God, give me a burden. Here's five things that you can expect. Number one is that the burden, go back to that last slide for me, God's burdens come with a cost. They, they can be a little bit weighty. And they, they can be something that I just wake up thinking about it. I wake up and I see that injustice or I see that gap and I see that need and it comes at a cost. Nehemiah chapter two, verse one, Nehemiah had a, a cost. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought to him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? Pause for just a moment. Do you know why this was a big deal? It's because it was illegal to be sad in the presence of the king. This king could have very easily, oh, you're sad, kill him and find somebody that'll be happy. So this wasn't just like this casual thing. This was something that we're gonna see in a second was this heart sickness that Nehemiah had. It was something that weighed him down and it impacted him in such a way that people on the outside could see it and he couldn't fake it anymore. I mean, at the risk of death, he was there serving the king, trying to do his best, and yet there was something in his heart that was just aching. It came at a cost. Why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. Have you ever been sad in your heart? Have you ever seen a gap between what is and what could be? And it's just, it's just there's something in my heart, and nobody else seems to even notice. Nobody else even seems to care, but there's just something in you that... How, how is this not being solved and why is this problem still here and I can't believe no, could be a ministry, could be an opportunity. I was very much afraid because he could have killed him. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when I've got this burden? When my ancestors are buried, man, it lies in ruins. Its gates have been destroyed by fire. There, there's just something I've got to do. And it impacts, I, I can't even, I'm, I'm trying to get through my life, but as I'm going through, I just see the need and I see the opportunity and I see the potential and I see what could be and I see what is and there's a gap and it'll come at a cost. If you'll ask God, God's what's your burden? I'm just telling you, it's gonna distract you from some things. It's gonna move you away from some things, but it doesn't just come with a cost. It also, God's burdens comes with God's favor. God's burdens, yes, they come with a cost, but they come with God's favor. As we see, Nehemiah is getting ready to ask Artaxerxes, the king, 
for some safe passage, and he just keeps asking and asking and asking, and at first glance, we think, well, that's kind of bold, but, but here's what makes it even more bold if you read Ezra, who is the story before Nehemiah. There had been an earlier attempt to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and King Artaxerxes had shut it down. He said, no more building. I don't want it. He felt like it was a threat to his kingdom and to his power, and so he shut the building project down. And so Nehemiah comes, he says, I want to rebuild. Remember that thing that you decreed that should never happen again and you want it to just be in ruins? I want you to do a total about face and I want you to change your mind. So Nehemiah, it come with a cost, but it also, man, it comes with a, a favor. Verse number four, the king said to me, what, what is it that you want? What a question. What is it that you want? Then I prayed to God of heaven, quick quick arrow prayer, God help me, here's my opportunity, here's my end that I'm gonna ask the king. I need your favor though. I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked, well how long is your journey gonna take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me so I set a time. And then he pushed a little further. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter for, to, to Asfa, keeper of the royal park, so that he will give me, not only do I want you to send me and give me this long vacation, I need your, I need your lumber. I need you to let me cut down a bunch of wood so that he'll give me timbers to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence that I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of God was on me, the king granted my request. And so I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and I gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent an army of officers and cavalry with me. When Sanballat, remember that name, we're gonna get to it in a couple weeks. When Sanballat the Huronite and Tobiah the Amorite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Listen, I'm telling you, if you'll get a burden, it'll come with a cost, but man, it'll come with God's favor. Revelation chapter three says that God is the one that can open doors that nobody can shut and that he shuts doors that nobody can open. Same king shut down the project earlier, all of a sudden was giving... Uh, Nehemiah everything he could possibly want. Why? God, well, just God's favor. Do you know that you can live and walk in God's favor? But it doesn't come by following your heart. It comes by saying, God, what's on your heart and how can I play a part? Man, if I have to live by my own heart, I'm just kind of at my own devices and where can my skill get me and where can my talents get me? But if I can shift and I can say, God, what's on your heart? How can I play a part? There is a cost to it. But there's also God's favor. There's God opening up doors and God closing doors and God providing a way that, man, just doesn't seem to be a way. Why was this possible? Well, God's favor was on him. So it comes with a cost. It comes with God's favor. And God's burdens is still require a plan. So you can't just go out and do it willy-nilly. You can't just decide, okay, I'm just going to, you know, ready, shoot, aim, type of thing. Anybody, anybody live a, a ready, shoot, aim type of life? Well, well God's burdens still require a plan. Nehemiah still had to connect some dots. Carrie, when she was starting her food ministry, she didn't just show up and say, okay, what should we do? No, she, she got a grocery list put together. She got the ingredients that she needed. She got the cooking instructions. She gathered some people with her. She had a plan. Here's how it's going to work. God's burden 
comes with a cost, comes with God's favor, but you still need to have a, have a plan. So he says this in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse number 11 through 16. I went to Jerusalem, and I didn't just kind of wander around aimlessly. Man, he had a plan. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what God, here's that line, here, here, the whole hinge point of the whole story of Nehemiah. I had not told anyone what God had put on my heart to do. It wasn't Nehemiah's idea. What God had put on my heart to do for, not just for me, for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night I went through the valley gate towards the jackal well, the dung gate, which, shout out to the dung gate, uh, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on towards the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up, so I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because I had yet to say, uh, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or the officials or any others who would be doing the work. Got to have a plan. Got to have a plan. The, the quote is given, lots of people say that it was this quote or that quote. I don't know exactly who started this quote, but I love this idea that we pray like it depends on God and we work like it depends on you. Pray like it depends on God. That's what Nehemiah did. Chapter one, Nehemiah praying, 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 praying. We see it again in chapter two. He prayed to God. He prayed like this project depended on God, and then he worked like it depended on him. Whatever burden you have, well, you've got to put in some work. Get some sweat equity into it. You've got to have a plan. God, this is what your heart is. This is how I want to play a part. Now, what's my first step? Okay, now, now what do I do? Now what's the next thing? How can I get involved with you and I'm not just gonna sit back and let God do all of the work and let God do it all and arrange it all? No, I'm going to put it with work, with me doing something. So God's burdens come with a cost. They come with God's favor. They still require a plan and God's burdens are achieved with a team. You, you, you are not meant to live this solo life. Now some of you are more introverted. That's perfectly fine. Some of you are extroverted and you're the life of the party. You want nothing more than just be with people all the time. Whatever side of that coin you're on, and God's burdens are always done with other people. Jesus Christ himself did not do what God had called him to do on his own. What was one of the first things he did? He gathered 12 people and did life with them. Could Jesus have done what he wanted to do all on his own as just a solo actor? Of course he could. He was God with flesh and bones put on. But Jesus gathered some people and he worked with them and he connected with them. If you're gonna achieve and if I'm going to achieve God's best for your life and if you're going to follow God's heart and ask what my part is, part of what God is gonna call you to do involves other people. I keep going back to Carrie with the food ministry. It wasn't Carrie by herself slaving away in the kitchen making this all work. Some of you have been involved. Some of you were there helping to cook. It's better together. Nehemiah chapter 17 and 18. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Watch me get it fixed. No, See how good of a job. Hey, come back in a couple months and see all the work I did, no? Come let, what's that word? Us. 
Let's get a team. Could Nehemiah have done this on his own? Maybe, maybe. But it certainly wouldn't have been done into the story. P.S., 52 days is, is how long it took to rebuild the wall. Nehemiah maybe could have done it on his own. But man, what a project to undertake on your own. God's burdens are for you to get involved with other people. They're, they're, and you might not think of yourself as a leader. You might think of yourself as just someone that, man, I just kind of go along, get along. I'm just telling you, God's burdens, you're gonna be with God's people. And with God's people as a team, that's how God accomplishes what he wants to accomplish. So then I said to them, you see the trouble where in Jerusalem lies in ruins? Its gates have been burned with fire. Come let us, we're gonna do it together, rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And so they replied, yes, let's do it. But here's, it required Nehemiah to point out the problem and say, let's go to work. The, amazing. These same people had lived in the broken walls the whole time. They walked by the problem every day. They saw the problem, but it took one person to say, here we go, we're gonna fix it, and gathered a team for it to be done. You'll see a problem sometimes in your life, and you will be amazed. Why doesn't anybody else see this? Why isn't anybody else fixing this? Why is this not working? And everybody else is just living their life. Everybody else is just going on because they don't see what you see. Nehemiah saw something that they didn't see. And he gathered a team and he said, here's what we're going to do. There's no lone rangers in the kingdom of God. There just aren't. It's better together. There's the story and and this illustration, and I looked it up again last night just to confirm its authenticity, and it is true. There's these Belgian draft horses. Maybe you've heard the illustration. These Belgian draft horses, there's these huge, huge horses, and if you strap one Belgian draft horse to you know, a load, it can pull up to 8,000 pounds, which is unbelievable. But if you put another Belgian draft horse with it, and especially if they have been raised together and have worked together for you know, a, a span of time, it can't pull 16,000 pounds because that's what you would think it would be able to do. 8,000 plus 8,000 individually, 16,000, which would be pretty amazing. No, no, no. You put two of them together, you know what they can do together? 32,000 pounds worth of pulling pressure because they worked as a team. They got together. And I don't know the physics of that and I don't know the science of that. I just know amazing things happen when you gather a group of people. And I, this is difficult for me. I'll just be honest with you. This is hard for me because I can be tempted to be a lone ranger because I know how to do it. And I can probably do it faster and probably do it a little bit better. And it's annoying to teach people how to do things. And, you know, it's frustrating to have to say, no, we should do it. So I, you know, I'm guilty of this. And I say, no, I'll just do it on my own. No, I'll take care of it. I'll, I'll, I'll do it for me. I, I can do this easy but it's a lonely life. And when we work as a team, we can do more. And maybe it's, maybe it's a little bit slower. And maybe there's some bumps along the way, but, but ultimately at the end, so much more gets done when we're achieving it with a team. And then lastly, God's burdens aren't immune to opposition. We give up a lot of times, give up too early. We think, God, if this is really what you wanted me to do, I wouldn't have any problems. I mean, you said that God's burdens comes with God's favor. 
but now I'm facing all this opposition. I'm having all these problems, and there seems like there's some roadblocks. This must not be what God wants me to do. I'm gonna give up, no. Every person that you find in scripture, find them, Old Testament, New Testament, you can't find one that had a wrinkle-free life and that did extraordinary things for God. You won't find it. The, the apostles, difficult life, and we're doing exactly what God called them to do at the same time. They're not mutually exclusive. Every Old Testament prophet did exactly what God called them to do and had opposition along the way, bumps along the way. Your facing opposition, my facing difficulty is not necessarily a sign of God saying, this isn't what you're supposed to be doing. Sometimes it's the voice saying, this is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. And see all this opposition I'm facing, see all these struggles I'm facing, I must be exactly where God calls me to be. I must be doing exactly what God's calling me to do because if I wasn't, I wouldn't be having all of this opposition. Verse number 19, but when Sanballat the uh, Hornite or Tobiah the Amorite official and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked him, ridiculed us. We're gonna see more about them here in a few weeks. And what is this you're doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? And throughout the story, you're gonna see these three guys throwing wrinkles and throwing curveballs and trying to get them distracted. But they just kept going because they, they didn't say, oh, there's opposition, this must not be God's plan. No, God's burden often comes. And they're not immune to opposition. But when Sanballat, the Hornite, and Tobiah, the Amorite, the official, and Geshem, the Arab heard about it, they mocked us, rekindled us. What is this you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Well, they knew the truth. No, no, I, I'm not. I asked what was on God's heart and I'm playing my part and I'm just gonna keep going in spite of his opposition. Man, if you will be open this year, 2024, that there might be some things that you need to do for you. Maybe you do need to lose some weight or get out of debt or fix some things. I'm, I'm, I'm pro those, but would I, can I encourage you, step out a little bit beyond that? Because here's what's true about everybody. Here's where we're all on the same page is the people that inspire you the most, the people that make you stand up and cheer, are not the people who live their life for their life. The people that give you goosebumps are the people that took a step out and lived their life on behalf of other people. And so what would it look like this year if all of us, if, if instead of just being a me-focused year, Instead of just having resolutions that make me skinnier or make me richer or go on a nicer vacation and it's just me, 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 what, what if we started to say, God, what's on your heart? How can I play a part? It's gonna come with a cost, but it'll also come with God's favor. Man, it's gonna require a plan. You can't just fly off the handle and start. You gotta get some people with you. They're as cheap with a dream, but then they're not immune to opposition. And so as we end this morning, I wanna give you one question to ask and one prayer to pray. One question that you can ask and one question that you can pray. As you build your life, here's the question. As you build your life, what lives are being made better? As you build your life, what lives are being made better? At the end of your life, who will your life have impacted? At the end of your life, is it just going to be, it was a me-focused life? Something to wrestle with, something to ask. And here's the prayer. God, give me a burden. God, really simple. I don't know if you pray or not, but here's, here's, here's a prayer that all of us could pray. God, give me a burden. 
And some of you, let me end with this. Some of you have been carrying around the wrong burden. Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you because my yoke is easy and my burden, what I'll put on you, it's light. In other words, it fits well. It fits with your skills and your talents and your abilities and something that's in your heart. Some of you have been carrying around the wrong burden and you're stressed out and you've got ulcers and you're not sleeping and you've got all this, man, it's the wrong burden. God, give me, give me your burden. And as you do that, I'm just telling you, God will do it. God will say, here's what's on my heart. Here's how you can play a part. Let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, give us your burdens. There are some things that you want to do in this world. Would you help us to be part of it? There are some lives that you want to impact. Would you help us be a part? There are some problems that you want to solve. Would you help us be part of the solution? There are some changes that you want to be made. Would you help us to be part of it? Lord, all of us are guilty of being, following our heart. Problem is our heart changes a lot. And so Lord, this week I'm praying for all of us, the people that are here in the room, the people that are watching online, that we would be